Hey folks, Andy Patton here. Two days before Gonzaga's next game in the NCAA tournament, we have a ton of talk about the Razorbacks of Arkansas coming in future shows, but today is a continuation of Mailbag Monday, reseeding the Sweet 16 teams remaining and talking about the future for some of Gonzaga's youngest players, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day and remind you that we are live on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags if you have not already. It's a great way to interact with the Gonzaga community. We are over 400 subscribers, which is phenomenal. Thank you to every single one of you who has subscribed. Hope is to get to 500 before the end of the national championship game. So a couple more weeks to go. Again, if you have not done so, please, please head to YouTube, search Locked On Zags and hit that subscribe button. All right, we got a couple different topics to cover today. Again, we're going to go in depth at length about Arkansas, the Razorbacks, who they are, what kind of offense they run, what kind of challenges they may present for the Zags. We're going to do that on Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to talk even more about Arkansas before the game as well. So today we're doing a couple other things. Third segment, we are going to talk about Arkansas. We're going to answer a listener-submitted question there. But in the first two segments, I'm going to talk a few other things. This first segment, I got a question from Christian via Gmail. He asked me to reseed the tournament, which is something that ESPN does after each round. This year, it was Myron Metcalf who did it. He reseeded all 16 teams that are remaining. He just did it 1 through 16, so I'm just going to do it the same way as well. I did not read his list, so I am not sure how much of my list will be similar or different from his. Uh, We'll start with number one, still the Zags. Still rolling with the Zags. I debated pretty heavily whether I was going to move Kansas up here. Uh, It kind of depends on what you're trying to get out of reseeding. I suppose I should mention that my general thought process here was which teams are most likely to make it to the national championship game and win the national championship. So I'm factoring in how they've played in the NCAA tournament so far, their overall talent, overall body of work, and also what their path looks like right now. Gonzaga does not have the easiest path remaining. In my mind, out of the top tier seeds, that goes to Kansas. Kansas has, they're playing Providence in the first game and they're playing the winner of Miami and Iowa State. That is a significantly different path to the Final Four than Gonzaga, who plays a very good Arkansas team and then either plays the winner of Texas Tech or Duke. I'm still rolling with the Zags. I think the Memphis game taught them a lot of really good things. I think we saw a team that could handle the physicality, handle the athleticism, outpaced this really good Memphis team. I think that game helped them more than it hurt them. That was a large topic of conversation on Mailbag Monday for those of you who tuned into that. So I still believe that. I 
don't think that Gonzaga's path is particularly easy at all because I think even when they get to the Final Four, they will run into either Purdue or UCLA or North Carolina. All pretty darn good teams there as well, but I still think I'm rolling with the Zags. This is the best team in college basketball. They've been the best team in college basketball for the vast majority of the year. A huge point when talking about March Madness and success in the NCAA tournament has always, always been guard play. Gonzaga gets a ton of attention for their front court, but Andrew Nembhardt is the reason they are not going home yet. He is the reason they beat Memphis. He had a huge role in the Georgia State game as well. He's going to have a big role against Arkansas, and he's going to be the person that leads this team into the Final Four and hopefully to the first ever national championship game. Number two seed for me is Kansas. Again, I already kind of touched on why. Uh, Obviously, guard play is a huge factor for them as well. Remy Martin has been playing some of the best basketball of his very lengthy collegiate career in the last couple of games. Again, their path to the Final Four is going to be Providence, which I think that they can win that game fairly easily, and then Iowa State and Miami, which should be another victory for them. So they probably have, not probably, they do have the easiest easiest path to get to the Final Four. Once there, they're going to run into somebody very, very good, so their path to get into the championship game is a little bit more challenging, but right now Bill Self's squad looks very, very good and very primed to continue their deep run once again. Number three is Arizona. Again, I think a team that was Continually ranked two in the entire country for a large chunk of the season. I was got the number two overall seed, but I think that they're a little bit more susceptible to potentially losing for starters. Uh, they're going to play a very, very good Houston team in their next game. And if they win that game, they probably have a date with the Wildcats of Villanova, Jay Wright's team. Uh, two really tough matchups. Arizona does not have an easy path. Houston and Villanova is really, really tough. And beyond that, you know, the theme of this segment so far is guard play. Kirk Creesa is hurt, and he did not look very good. He, he looked bad in the last game against TCU. They won despite a, a struggling performance from him, which is an incredible hats off to mostly Christian Coloco, who was a monster against TCU. He had 28 points on 12 of 13 shooting, an incredible game for Christian Coloco. And then, of course, Matherin dropped 30 and had that thunderous dunk at the end of the game, but they barely escaped. And that was in part because Creesa didn't play a lot of minutes. He went one for 10 shooting from beyond the arc. He had a horrible shooting night and he's, he's coming off a pretty significant injury. I think this team can still win without Kirk Creesa, which is a tremendous, you know, credit to Tommy Lloyd and to the entire team and the depth that they have, but it's not going to be nearly as easy and they do not have an easy path to get to where they want to go. Number four, Villanova. I think Villanova's really, really good. Again, we're going to stick with guard play because that's the theme here. Colin Gillespie is one of the best point guards in the country. He's not as traditionally point guard-like in the way that Andrew Nembhard is. I believe he averages under four assists per game. He's more of a score-first guard, but he's a veteran guy. He's very experienced, and he's been playing really well lately. I think Villanova's one of the best teams in the country. They've been one of the best teams all season long. They they faced a tough challenge in the Big East. They came out of it a stronger, better team. I think they got a really good chance. They got Michigan, who's playing really, really well. Juwan Howard has done a great job. We'll talk about them, of course, a little later on. Uh, but after that, they're going to play one of Arizona or Houston. So not an easy path for them either. Which Their next two games are going to be tough regardless of who their opponent is. But I think that this is a team that has a very realistic chance of going to the Final Four again under Coach Jay Wright. Number five is Duke, who of course was initially a two seed. Uh, They 
they escaped against Michigan State and Tom Izzo's team. It was a tough one for them. Uh, it really kind of looked like the lights were dimming on Coach Krzyzewski's career in that game. A.J. Griffin was out with an injury. Michigan State had a lead. Izzo was coaching a great game. Uh, but the young guys at Duke had turned it around. I mean, a really nice accomplishment for them. Roach had a phenomenal game. Mark Williams was a machine down low. And then Paolo Bancaro was just unbelievably unstoppable in that game. A 6'10", 250-pound guy who's crossing people up, driving to the lane, doing spin moves. I mean, he's a complete load and really, really difficult to defend. Duke has not played their best basketball recently, which is part of the reason that they're down at number five on this list. But talent-wise, especially if Griffin is healthy, this team is really, really good. Top to bottom, an extremely talented roster. They got some magic around them this year. Some people may may argue that that is referees being a little bit more generous to Duke because of Coach Krzyzewski's final season. I don't know about that 100%, but uh, I can tell you that that Duke's, they got a lot of momentum right now, and I think they got a good chance of, of beating Texas Tech, and that's going to make it a ridiculously fun matchup in the Elite Eight if Gonzaga and Duke face off uh, with you know an opportunity for Gonzaga to potentially end Krzyzewski's career and an opportunity for Duke to pick up a huge win over the number one overall seed to move to the Final Four. Number six is Houston, who was a five seed going into the NCAA tournament. They have the biggest growth right now, uh, just in terms of of where they're ranked compared to their peers and where they were ranked coming into the tournament. Uh, That's because Kelvin Sampson is a wizard. He is an incredible, incredible coach. This Houston team was was a really difficult team to pin down. I think fans of Gonzaga and fans of mid-major programs should be very happy to see Houston doing this because Houston came into the tournament uh, having defeated one tournament team. (laughs) They had the only team that played in the NCAA tournament that they secured a victory over this season was Memphis. And they played them three times and they beat them once. Frankly, I, I had Houston losing to UAB. I was not super confident in this team because they weren't super tested. It's an argument that's been used against Gonzaga for literal decades. And yet here I am buying into it. And I'm very happy to have been proven wrong with with Houston doing an incredible amount of of good work through the tournament so far. Now they face off against Arizona, an Arizona team that's a little bit susceptible right now that could be taken down. Houston has phenomenal guard play, a lot of experience, very well coached. The matchup against Arizona is going to be a really, really good one. But even if they win that, then they got to go out and beat Villanova or potentially Michigan. Not an easy task for Houston. If they make the Final Four, uh, it will be... One of the greatest coaching accomplishments that I have ever seen from Samson because this is not an easy path for them to get there. Next up, the Red Raiders of Texas Tech, another team Gonzaga is familiar with. They are seventh on our reseeding. They were a three seed in general, of course, on Gonzaga's West region alongside Duke. Uh, they are, that's who they're playing in their next game. Really tough matchup for them. They got Duke and then they got either Gonzaga or Arkansas. So getting to the final four is going to be really tough under coach Adams, but this is a, a well-coached team. They're phenomenal defensively. Uh, obviously Gonzaga did beat them earlier in the year, but they had to do it by from beyond the arc, which was at the time something they had not proven they had the ability to do. It was a great performance from Gonzaga's guards to get them that victory there. But if Gonzaga runs into them again, they're going to be ready, and I think they're going to play really, really good. Uh, it's surprising to me even to see them all the way down at seventh because I think this team is really, really talented, but they got a pretty unfortunate draw with Duke and Gonzaga ahead of them, uh, and they're going to have to play their best basketball of the season over the next couple of games if they want to find themselves in the Final Four, but they have the ability to do it. 
Next up, number eight, Purdue. I was kind of struggling between Purdue and Texas Tech and, and even Houston uh, because Purdue, I, I don't think, is as talented as, as either of those teams, and that's why I have them down a little farther back. But they have a really cushy draw. They're in the bracket seed where Baylor has already fallen to North Carolina, where Kentucky, of course, fell to St. Peter's. So they're the three seed, and they're the highest seed remaining on their side of the bracket. They're also playing St. Peter's in their, in their next game. With no disrespect to the Peacocks, who have obviously done something unprecedented and incredibly incredible by defeating Kentucky in the first round and Murray State in the second round to go to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed, Purdue should handle this game somewhat easily. Zach Eady, six, seven foot four. They just the Peacocks don't have the size to match up with him. Trevion Williams is a phenomenal low post player as well. And then, of course, you have Jaden Ivey, one of the best guards in the entire country, potential top three, top five pick in the NBA draft. I think Purdue is going to take this one pretty easily. Their game after that will either be UCLA or North Carolina, a four seed and an eight seed. Purdue will likely be favored in both of those matchups. I don't think either of them are particularly easy. Uh, Once you get to the Elite Eight, I don't think any of your games are easy. That's kind of what makes college basketball so fun is at that point, anybody can beat anybody. Uh, But this Purdue team has a relatively cushy path to get to the Final Four. But I really have very little faith in their ability to, to go beyond that. Maybe I'm just a hater for Purdue, but their defense has just been so bad all year long. Even though they're one of the top three best offensive teams in the entire country, their lack of defense, I don't know that I would pick them over Gonzaga or Duke or Texas Tech. I'm not 100% sold that if Arkansas were to beat Gonzaga and beat one of those two teams, I probably probably would lean Arkansas over Purdue as well, just because that defense really scares me for the Boilermakers. But Got to have them here on this list at a pretty high spot anyway, just because they have the easiest first round or next round game uh, coming up for them against St. Peter's. Next up, number nine, UCLA came into the tournament as a four seed, the hardest team to rank. And that's simply because we just don't know the full update on Jaime Jaquez's health. He twisted his ankle pretty good in the St. Mary's game, uh, came out of the game, had it wrapped up. He's had ankle injuries throughout the season, so right now he's listed as day-to-day, but for me that's risky. If he's not playing, their odds of even beating North Carolina go down pretty significantly because he's such a huge piece of what they do. They have depth. Peyton Watson was a top 10 freshman in the country. He has not played particularly well this season, but he would be asked to fill in a bigger role for UCLA if Hawkins is out. Obviously, Johnny Juzang's extremely talented player, Tiger Campbell, Cody Riley. Like they have pieces. They have guys, Jules Bernard. They, they have a lot of talent on this roster. But if Hawkes is not healthy, that bumps them down a little bit for me. If he is healthy, he's playing at 100% against North Carolina. I like their odds there. And I, I think I might, again, if he's fully healthy, I might like their odds of, of even advancing past Purdue. But I'm not sure that I see them. Even if they do sneak into the Final Four, I'm, I'm not sure I see them going a lot farther than that. Just with a, a lack of front court depth and, and some questionable health stuff going on with Hawkes. Number 10 is the Friars of Providence. Uh, this is We've talked about this team a lot this year. Very, very lucky throughout the season. Uh, the, the highest luck rating in the country, according to Ken Palm. They proved that they deserve to be here, though, won their first couple of games. Ed Cooley is a phenomenal coach, but they got, they got Kansas, and I think Kansas is going to win this game. So I can't have them too high, even though I believe that this team is, is better than a lot of the metrics may have thought that they were, but I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get by the Jayhawks. 
Number 11, North Carolina, the Tar Heels, uh, an eight seed, obviously, who was playing extremely well coming into the tournament, has defeated Baylor in an epic game where they were up 25 points and blew the lead entirely and went into overtime with Brady Manek on the bench because he got kicked out of the game for a flagrant two foul. North Carolina still won. Now they get UCLA, tough matchup for them. Again, if Hawkins is out, I think they got a chance of winning that one. Not sure I love them against Purdue, though. So it's going to be a tough path for them. But I this is the most confident I've been in an eight seed, potentially making the Final Four in a long time. Number 12, Arkansas got them down here. Uh, I think this is a very good team. It's not trying to be disrespectful to the Razorbacks. J.D. Note is awesome, one of the best guards remaining in the NCAA tournament, but this team is not very good at shooting it from beyond the arc. They're very good defensively, but they don't have a ton of size. I don't think the Gonzaga matchup is a particularly good one for them, and even if they were to pull it off, Duke or Texas Tech would be a really tough matchup for them as well. 13 is Michigan. The Wolverines hats off to Juwan Howard for this team even being here at this point in the season. Uh, Obviously, they were really highly rated going into the year. They struggled a lot throughout the regular season, snuck into the tournament as an 11 seed. Here they are, defeated Tennessee in the second round to move into the Sweet 16. They got to get through Nova. They got to get through Arizona or Houston. Those are really, really good teams. So it's really hard for me to imagine Michigan going any further than they already have. 14 is Miami, the Hurricanes. Uh, Wong and Moore are their two guards. Phenomenal players. Have played really, really well this tournament. That's how they usurped USC. That's how they beat down on Auburn. They got Iowa State in their next game. I'm definitely leaning Miami in that game. But after that, that sends them to the Elite Eight. An incredible accomplishment for the Hurricanes. But I don't know that I like them too too much, uh, potentially advancing over Kansas. 15, Iowa State, the Cyclones, what a story for them. They won two games last year with starting point guard Razier Bolton. This year, they were a top 10 team in the country at one point early in the year. They were undefeated for a while, struggled throughout the regular season, dropped them down to on that 11 line. But here they are, picked up a couple victories in the Sweet 16. Again, I'm not sure they even make it past Miami. If they do, I really don't think they make it past Kansas, but still a really tremendous accomplishment for this team to be in the Sweet 16 after such a disastrous year last year. And finally, the Peacocks of St. Peter's. It's Unfortunately, somebody's got to be last in the 15 seed. Playing a good Purdue team definitely comes in here, but what a story for Shaheem Holloway's squad. Sounds like he's going to take over as the head coach at Seton Hall. Kind of an odd story there, but excited for him to get that opportunity. This is a really fun team. Uh, Even if this is where the end of the line for them, which I suspect it probably will be, uh, hats off to them for being the second team in uh, consecutive years to be a 15 seed to make it all the way to the Sweet 16. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment, and we're going to discuss Gonzaga's roster, what it could look like next year, the NBA draft decisions that are looming for a handful of players on this roster. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single-game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fix. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. 
This is what daily fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on, promo code locked on for a 100% match. All right, segment two, so many patents still locked on Zags. We're switching over to answer a pair of questions that were asked for Mailbag Monday that I did not get to. The overall theme is talking about which players on this roster will be here next season and which ones won't. The first question was from Sam Nichols 777 on Twitter, who asked, do you think Strother goes to the NBA this summer? The next question was from Chuck via Gmail. Chuck said, Early in the season, there was much speculation that several players could leave early for the NBA. It doesn't appear that any of them have had a standout season or NCAA tournament. Now that we are this far along, who do you think will still be on the roster next year? So I'm going to take both these questions at once. I would push back on some of these guys not having standout seasons. I think that they definitely have. But regardless, there is definitely a lot of uncertainty about what this roster could look like next year. In my mind, six of Gonzaga's eight rotation players will be strongly considered for NBA rosters this summer. Six out of eight. That is pretty dang good. The two that I am not counting in this conversation right now are graduate transfer guard Razier Bolton and junior Anton Watson. Watson is basically 1,000% coming back. He's going to have a bigger role next year as a senior. It would not make sense for him to look to go to the NBA right now. He has not showcased the skill sets that he would need in order to do so. Bolton... Phenomenal player, great, great, great basketball player at Gonzaga, has had a stellar career uh, as a college basketball player. He's undersized for a combo guard while he's been a great three-point shooter for them this year. I don't see him really having the skill set to be an NBA player. I think he's going to carve out a great professional basketball career somewhere. I just don't see him as an NBA player. So that leaves six other players who are all on NBA radars. I'm going to just go through them one by one and talk about where I think we are at with them right now. I've done this a handful of times this year, but it's, of course, an ever-changing conversation. Every single game, things are a little bit different. I will start with Chet Holmgren because that's the easiest one. He will not be back. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to go into a whole lot more detail there. He is widely considered, uh, if not the first overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft, uh, no later than third. Uh, he's right in that conversation with Jabari Smith from Auburn, with Paolo Bancaro from Duke. Uh, there's some other, other players in that mix as well. Ben Mathurin from Arizona, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, etc., etc. Uh, it's almost certainly going to come down to Chet, Jabari, and Paolo and... I think it's really hard to argue against Chet at this point. Certainly, Bancaro's got a, a bit more size. He's got a, a bit more weight on him. He's also a phenomenal ball handler. Uh, Chet is such an elite rim protector, though. He adds that to his game in a way that neither of the other two players really come close to replicating that amount of success on the defensive end of the floor. No chance Chet Holmgren will be a sophomore at Gonzaga. We can just rule that out right away and move on. Next player is Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy, I'm very, very fascinated by what he's going to do. I've talked about this a handful of times on the podcast, and again, we'll talk about it a handful of times more on the podcast between now and the NBA draft, or at least between now and when he makes a formal decision on what he's going to do. Uh, his game against Memphis probably helped a little bit. We saw some like Dirk Nowitzki-like fadeaways, which we haven't really seen from him all that often. We saw him hit a three-pointer very confidently. Uh, but the, the main thing with Drew is that he doesn't possess 
a lot of the skill sets that NBA scouts are looking for in their big men. Namely, he is not a good pick and roll defensive player. He's bad at it. I don't want to. I don't want to be too mean about Drew Timmy, especially after the game he had against Memphis. But this is not a a strength of him, and and it is a, a critical, critical skill set to have in the NBA. Every single team runs high ball pick and rolls. And if you as a big man cannot hedge those screens, cannot guard guards one-on-one or at least passively keep them in front of you, it is really, really hard for you to stick around at the NBA level. Drew Timmy has not displayed that ability yet. Now, I think that he can probably improve defensively and he can improve athletically, but I don't know that it's ever going to be something that he's even average at at the next level. And his offensive game, while he has possesses elite level footwork, really good finishing around the rim, I don't know that that translates as well because it's not as utilized in the modern NBA. Teams in the NBA are not going down the court and feeding big men in the post and standing around while they do their moves. That's what Gonzaga has operated doing that really well. And he's great at it because he can find the open man. He can look for cutters. He can do all of that. But NBA teams just don't do that very often. So it kind of leaves Drew in an odd spot where he's, he's a phenomenally skilled basketball player. He's one of the best players in college basketball. But his skill set doesn't really translate to the NBA. So what do you do? Like last year, he could have left and he could have gotten a look and he might maybe he would have gotten drafted in the second round. Maybe he would have got signed as an undrafted free agent, but I don't know that he would have stuck in the NBA. This year, he's come back and he's played really, really well, but he hasn't dramatically improved on any of those skills that would have been necessary for him to get a, a strong look in the NBA. At this point, I don't see him showing up on mock drafts almost ever. So he would probably be an undrafted free agent. If that's the case, and you have the ability to come back to Gonzaga for your senior year, cement yourself as one of, if not the greatest Gonzaga basketball player in school history, you can make money now because of NIL deals. He already has tons of sponsorships lined up. Dollar Shave Club, he's got a deal with the casino in Spokane, he's got a Boost Mobile, a bunch of other ones as well. It makes sense for him to potentially come back. I'm starting to lean towards that might be the decision that he makes. I would not blame him for a second for going out and starting to, starting his professional basketball career. If that's what he chooses to do, kudos. Incredible career. Thanks for the memories. But I would not be shocked if he decides to come back. Next up, Andrew Nembhard. Uh, Andrew Nembhard has really not gotten a lot of NBA draft buzz. I've seen him show up on a few big boards, you know, in the 70s or 80s. Uh, he gets talked about for how talented he is and how great of a basketball player he is, but he's not talked about much as an NBA player. I think he could. I think he can be an NBA player. I think he's good enough to be. He's athletic enough. He's a good size for a point guard. Uh, he's a phenomenal passer. He's an adequate defensive player. I think. I'll say this. Andrew Nembhard's probably not going to return to Gonzaga. He has played four years of college basketball. He has wanted to test the NBA draft every single year that he has been in college. He, he went to Florida hoping to be a one and done. It did not happen. He pursued the NBA draft before he ultimately even transferred to Gonzaga. I think he wants to go pro and I think he wants to play in the NBA. And I think that that's great. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I get the sense that he's not coming back for a fifth COVID year. I don't think that he wants to do that. Do I think that he's going to get drafted by an NBA team? I don't know. I lean no, but I think he's going to get a lot of looks. I think he's going to get an undrafted free agent signing. I think he could be a two-way contract guy. And I think he's good enough to play in the NBA, to even play rotation minutes in the NBA. So that's kind of where I'm at with Nemhard. I would be very, very surprised. Outside of Chet, I think Nemhard is the least likely player in this group to be on Gonzaga's roster next year. 
Next up, the the guy that we got a specific question about, that's Julian Strother. Uh, so his odds have changed very dramatically in my mind. I was, for most of the season, I've been about 50-50 on whether I thought Julian Strother was going to return to Gonzaga or whether he was going to go to the NBA. At this point, I'm about 70-30. He's coming back. He has played very poorly in the NCAA tournament, which is not a good thing. <laughs> Do not get me wrong. That is a bad thing, and I, we need him. We need need him to kind of find his shot again because he's a huge part of what Gonzaga tries to do offensively. But at that point, with him not shooting particularly well, with him struggling a little bit down the stretch, I just I don't think that he's NBA ready right now. And more importantly, I don't think scouts are seeing him in that lens quite yet. He's got some he he's got some more offensive development to do. Uh, we saw him, you know, have a floater throughout the year that looked really, really good. He's gotten better at backdoor cuts. He's a good offensive rebounder. All those are great skills. He's a good three-point shooter, but he's an inconsistent three-point shooter, as we have seen recently. And defensively, I think he's he's very good. He's better on that end than I thought that he was. But he obviously has has room for improvement there. Who doesn't on the defensive end of the floor? So I think Strother's coming back. I think he plays a very big role on this team next year. I also think that he's very certainly going to at least test out the NBA draft waters now that college basketball allows you to do that. And if he goes out there and really impresses a handful of teams in workouts, I could see the narrative flipping very quickly on Strother. And all of a sudden, you start seeing him cropping up in the you know late, late first round even, or at least early second round as a potential draft pick. And if that happens, then he's probably going to be gone. But right now, I'm feeling far more confident about him returning to this team. And then the last two guys, we can pretty much lump them together, uh, Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, the two freshman guards. At this point, I think it's pretty well established that these two guys are likely going to come back and be the leaders of this backcourt next season. Neither of them have played enough minutes, uh, really for the entire season, but certainly in the NCAA tournament so far, to really do anything to move the needle about how teams feel about them. I think a lot of NBA scouts have seen these guys and think those guys are NBA players. But you, you're not going to take a chance on a kid right now until you've seen him really start to show some of that development. Hunter Salas in particular, we know what he's good at. He's a freak athlete. He's a tremendous backdoor cutter. He's a phenomenal defensive player. We haven't seen him be a shot creator. We haven't seen him be an outside shooter. We haven't seen him be a facilitator. That does not mean that he cannot do those things. But he has not shown those skills yet. So NBA scouts would much rather wait to see if he can do that. Next year, he comes back on a team without Andrew Nampard, without Roz Bolton, takes on a much bigger role in the backcourt. If we start seeing him be a facilitator, be an outside shooter, things that I feel pretty confident he has the ability to do, that is going to make him a very, very draftable player. He doesn't have to be world-beatingly awesome next season for him to get drafted after his sophomore year. He just needs to play more and be pretty good. I think he's going to be very, very good, but I think the odds of him going to the NBA after next season are really high, and I think that his range of outcomes as a basketball player for Gonzaga uh, is is pretty wide, but regardless, I think he's going to be in the NBA. Hickman, I'm less confident about that. He's fairly undersized for a point guard even in the NBA. Uh, the three-point shooting is going to need to be a big part of his game. I think it's there, but we haven't seen it super consistently yet. Uh, I think he's a good defensive player. He's a good facilitator. He's very, very cerebral basketball player. Uh, but he kind of went the wrong direction this year where he sort of faded down the stretch, whereas Salas picked up some momentum. NBA scouts and people who, who follow the league uh, really pay attention to that kind of stuff too. So I think Hickman's a little bit farther off the radar right now, but I would not be surprised if both of these players are heavily talked about as potential draft picks after next season, but I'd be surprised if either of them leave this year. All right, third segment 
Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about Arkansas. We're just, just going to tease some stuff about the Razorbacks before we get into the next two episodes where we're going to dig in much, much more. But before we get there, let's talk about today's sponsor, Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. All right, segment three, Cincinnati Patton's still locked on Zags. Finally going to talk a little bit about the Hogs, the Arkansas Razorbacks. This was a question asked for Mailbag Monday from Lothar King. He said, of what they want to do, what will be the hardest thing for Arkansas to do on O or D against Gonzaga in San Francisco? I thought this was an interesting question, and I think it's something that I can answer without having done my full deep dive into Arkansas, which we will do later. Uh, I think the, the simple answer to this question is keep up. <laughs> That's it. Uh, we, we've seen Gonzaga plays at a frenetic pace. They have done it all year long. They're one of the top teams in the country in pace alongside Arizona and that that guy, Tommy Lloyd, that we're all very, very familiar with running a similar type offense of getting out in transition, uh, running on fast or on, excuse me, on made baskets, something that Andrew Nampard did really well against Memphis. And we've seen the teams that have had the best success against Gonzaga this year have slowed them down. Randy Bennett is a wizard at this. He is one of the few coaches in the country, and it's probably because he plays Gonzaga two to three times a year for the last decade. He has figured out how to do it. And that is how Gonzaga loses, is when they cannot get out in transition, they cannot get their 8, 10, 12, 15 easy points that way per game, and then they're forced to play half-court offense every single possession. Arkansas is probably going to try to run with Gonzaga. Now, I don't know. Eric Musselman's a very good coach. They may opt to try something a little bit differently. Here's a stat I read through Heat Check College Basketball. They released a huge pre-NCAA tournament primer with information on every single team. It was phenomenal. A really, really nice resource for for me doing research and for anybody else who utilized it. Wanted to plug that for them. Uh, Arkansas is 13-1 and this season when games are under 70 possessions. So when they play slow or the team that they're playing forces them to play slow, they are 13-1. and They are 12-7 and when the game is faster paced than that. That's a pretty significant difference. 13 and 1 is, you know, over 90% winning percentage. 12 and 7 is still good. It's not bad, but it's it's not great. So they may attempt to run. They Ken Palm has them as the 28th fastest paced team in the country. For reference, Memphis was 34th. So they play at a similar pace to Memphis. Memphis attempted to run with Gonzaga. That was the strategy that they adopted. They got out, they got back in transition really well in the first half, and they got out in transition pretty well in the first half as well. 
And then in the second half, they were gassed. They did not have the energy. They had some foul trouble, which was obviously a, a big factor for them. And they were just gassed. And Nemhard, to his incredible credit, was just running and running and running and running every single possession in the second half. Drew Timmy has that acrobatic reverse lay-in. Uh, they're getting out in transition constantly. If Arkansas attempts to do that, I think the results will be similar. I think they will hold with Gonzaga for a while if they are trying to match pace. They will get they will stop Gonzaga from getting out in transition. They will get out in transition a fair amount themselves. They might be able to pick up some cheap fouls that way because it's a little harder to avoid fouling when you're tired. But for a full 40 minutes, I do not think this team can do it. I think there's only one team in the country that can reasonably hold with Gonzaga for 40 minutes, and there's a chance they run into him in the national championship game if Tommy and his team can get it together for the next few games that they have. That's about it. So for me, I'm going to be very, very curious whether Arkansas attempts to run with the Zags or whether they attempt to do what St. Mary's has done, what Duke did, what Tarleton State did, uh, and just prevent the Zags from getting out in transition at all, and then trying to box the guards out. As soon as they cross half court, put a ton of pressure on them, maybe double team them, get the ball out of Andrew Nembhard's hands. I think those are some things we might see from Arkansas, because if they don't do that, and they just attempt to play a similar style as Gonzaga, they're just not going to be as good at it, and that's probably not going to result in a victory. I think a couple other things real quick. We'll talk a lot more about Arkansas uh, in future episodes, obviously, but I think for they don't run a lot of post sets offensively. They are really guard-oriented in their scoring. J.D. Note, one of the best scoring guards in the country. He's a 30.8% three-point shooter, so that is not his strength. He is going to be getting to the rim a lot. That's what he's going to do. That's what all of their guards do. They do a lot of dribble drives. They do a lot of just trying to get into the lane, scoring around the rim. That's not going to be easy for them to do either. They have not faced a shot blocker quite like Chet Holmgren. Obviously, they have faced Walker Kessler at Auburn. They also defeated Auburn, so that is a factor as well. But Chet is incredibly talented. I think what we're going to see Arkansas attempt to do is get him in foul trouble. Have the guards go right at his chest get into him, draw some contact that way. Chet is really good, really, really good at not fouling in these situations. He, he got into some foul trouble against Memphis. Jalen Duran was an incredible athletic big man who managed to get into his body a little bit and cause some foul trouble that way. With no disrespect to Note or the rest of Arkansas's guards, Chet has handled guards driving into him really well this year. If he does that and picks up a handful of blocks early and effectively takes that away from Arkansas, they're going to have some real trouble scoring the basketball because they're a, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. And if they can't get to the rim and draw fouls and get to the free throw line, they're going to have some issues. We'll talk way more about Arkansas, their pros, their cons, what this game is probably going to look like in, in Wednesday's episode and again on Thursday's episode. But I wanted to touch a little bit on the pace of this game because I think that's going to be one of the most, if not the most fascinating thing to watch on Thursday, 4 p.m., San Francisco, Gonzaga versus Arkansas, super, super fun game coming up. That is going to do it for me today. Lots more on the Razorbacks coming up the rest of the week right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked on Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked on NFL Draft podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker Bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. 
All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.